0: This message comes to you from Withenshaw Community Church, Manchester. We hope that you are inspired and challenged by God's Word. Okay, are you glad you're in Zone 1 this morning? I'm very glad, I'm very glad. I'm going to stand down here, is that okay? Uh, Because that means I can feel closer to you. It's so good to be here with you today. I think that I'm the standing speaker today, is that right? Oh, am I the stand-in today? You can do what you want. You can do somersaults if you want. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll do. I'll do a somersault at twelve thirty. Anyway, um, so good to be here with you uh, today. Thanks for uh, the welcome. Good to be here in uh, uh, withinshaw. I spoke here. I've, this is the kind of memory that I have. I spoke here at this church in two thousand and two. I remember it. Uh, I came just pretty much at the start of Mike's tenure as the lead pastor, and now he is retiring. So I saw him in. And I'm seeing him out. And then Peter Bird, I spoke at his church, and uh, when he virtually started uh, over there, so I saw him in. And I'm preaching at his retirement in a few weeks' time, so I'm going to see him out. So if anybody else is thinking of leaving, just have a chat with me, you know, and I'll uh, I'll try to help you. Uh, But thanks so much, yeah, so I was an evangelist for many years, still am at heart, but then uh, I I planted a church, felt the Lord challenged me to plant a church. We did that in the town of Loughborough, University town, Uh, that was in 2012, and that church, we started with about 12 people, and by the end of the first year, we had uh, 10. So if you want to know how I did that, come and I'll give you advice afterwards. I'm a real expert at how to decrease a church, Uh, but uh, that first, uh, those first few years of pioneering were challenging and tough. But we just stuck at it. I think that's half the deal. Is you just got to stick at it, really. So we did, and God has just blessed the church. And uh, today there are hundreds of people. Uh, In the life of the church, we've got some campuses in the city of Leicester, who used to have a good football team, and also we have a uh, a campus in the city of Nottingham as well, which we've just recently launched. So we're giving it a go, and uh, hopefully, uh, what I say to you for the next few minutes will not come across as in any way uh, better than it's just we're on a journey together, and hopefully, this was going to help you and encourage you today. Uh, there are some verses in the Bible that I find really challenging. Uh, there are lots of verses in the Bible that I feel really challenging to the point of problematic. Who, who knows what I'm talking about? Uh, they make great sermon fodder, and we preach them, but if you really stop to think about them, they're really challenging. And one of them is Matthew eleven thirty. Uh, It's a little statement there Jesus made. No no doubt that any preacher here has preached on this verse at some point in your time. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, (laughs) and my burden is light. And you've all got your three-point sermons on this that you've preached more than once, I'm sure. Um, But I find that verse really challenging as a leader. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to park that verse just to the side. We're going to come back to it in a moment or two, have a little chat, and then we'll just try and work out what this verse means for us. I was in Ireland just last week um, at the funeral service of my old uh, grandfather. Uh, He died just two days after his 97th birthday Uh, He was an old war veteran, served throughout World War II from 1939 to 1945, lied about his age to get into the war and traveled the world. Some of the stories are pretty incredible. Um, And then when he uh, uh, finished, when they got back to Belfast after the war, uh, he soon afterwards gave his life to Jesus. And then it wasn't really that long after that that my grandfather was asked to take on the pastorate of a church in downtown Belfast, which he led for many, many years. My grandfather once quipped to me, and he said that uh, the war was easy compared to leading the church. (laughs) And I've not been in war, but I've led a church, and I think I can probably understand what he's trying to say. Uh, when I was over there in Belfast, uh, I met up with a really good friend of mine called Paul Reed. Paul was the lead pastor of CFC Church, Belfast. It was a church that gained national uh, prominence mainly to do with worship, and he saw incredible growth. Churches now 1,500, even 2,000 strong, something like that. Paul and his wife Priscilla they retired when they were in their late 50s, and Paul said something to me that struck me as being very insightful, and it's stayed with me ever since. And Paul said that when Priscilla and I retired from leading CFC Church, he said it was only in the months and years after we retired that we really began to understand the weight of responsibility that we had been carrying for the previous 30 years. And I thought that was so interesting. In other other words, when we were leading the church, we kind of got it. We knew that there was a weight of responsibility in this. But it was only after we stepped down from leadership, that is when it, it really hit us. And I thought, how insightful is that? And I say that to say this to every pastor here today. And I say this to every team that's represented here today, that when you are leading a church, you are carrying a weight of responsibility that is even greater than what you realize. I'm here to encourage every pastor here today. I'm here to say to every team, you really ought to be the biggest encouragement to your pastor, because a pastor, especially a lead pastor, is carrying a weight of responsibility that is beyond perhaps their own comprehension. Uh, You're dealing with people, well, that ought to be a giveaway right away. In any church, there is going to be a section of the congregation who think you're the best thing since Moses. Uh, And then there's the the smoking section who think you're the worst thing since the devil himself. Uh, And then you you get Paul Scanlon's famous quote, you know, church is like a bus, people get on people get off, great. But he's missed a crucial uh, element, which is that when a lot of people get off, they try to let the tires down. How many, how many pastors know what I'm talking about here today? Or they tamper with the engine, or they want to get on the bus and make an announcement and encourage others to hop off the bus as well. That's when it gets complicated. You're dealing with people, and people are complex. So the, the challenge, and this is where it gets really tough when you're a pastor, because our challenge is we've got to love people. But when people abuse you and hurt you and let you down... Then the danger is that you become cynical of people. And I would say to all of us, watch out for cynicism. The moment that cynicism gets into your blood, that's the moment you really want to think twice about leading a church. Because this is all about people. And... No matter how people behave and no matter what they do, God has called us to love them. So you're dealing with people, and that's a huge weight of responsibility. Then you're carrying the weight of responsibility for the finances in the church. And that's the thing when you're a pastor. You see, you see I know my church, and I could stand here today and paint a picture of, you know, if you come to our, our services on Sunday morning, you'll see hundreds of people, and it's very loud, and it's very youthy, and I'm, you know, they're all dancing, and I'm trying to dance as well, bounce, right? And I, you know, and it's like... But you know the meeting is midway, and you know how perilous this thing is. Right? When, you're, when you're a lead pastor, you know how absolutely perilous this thing is. You know that if such and such a person were to leave, the finances would not be in such a good way, etc., etc., etc. And there's a weight of responsibility there in terms of finances. And then, of course, you've got all the other things, the weight of spiritual responsibility, keeping it fresh. Uh, how do you keep it fresh? And then how do you keep it fresh? This is where it gets complicated. How do you keep it fresh when you've just gone through hell? Can I do straight talking here today or what? I mean, I know I'm in Manchester. I can do that, right? If I'm in London, I have to, you know, sweeten it and all that sort of thing, you know. Um, how do you keep it fresh? How do, you, how do you keep it fresh when you're going through um, all kinds of stuff and, 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 and behavior and trying to deal with this and that. How do you keep focused spiritually? That's a challenge that every... I'm not here to give easy answers today. I'm just here to mention it as an issue, as a tension, just in case you're going through it to let you know you're not on your own. How do you, uh, how do you stay fresh when you're carrying the weight of responsibility for projects, building projects? You go into the ministry, and you love people, and I want to preach the Word, and I just want to love people, and the next thing, you're a building site manager. What's that all about? <laughs> you know, Or you've got to clear out of the, the auditorium because you, you don't have one anymore, uh, or because you know, you've know got to get renovations done, or this done, or that, and you're spending so much time trying to do all this, that, and the other thing. And then you question yourself, and you say, I didn't sign up for this when I did the theology course. And then, of course, on top of all, I'm trying to paint a picture here. you still with me? you got all those pressures of leadership. And I could mention so many other things as well. And then, on top of that, there's your own stuff. There's that marriage that you've got to keep working at. Just church that I know recently, 700 strong pastors gone. Gone off with another woman. Left a congregation devastated, all over the headlines, all, all over Ireland. So how's your marriage doing, my friend? I mean, your husband, are you, are you taking care of your wife? Are you taking care of her? Are you looking after her? Are you so distracted by all this? This is, this is huge. But you're not taking care of this. What about the kids? What about the personal financial pressures? What about all this? this? So there's a lot of weight of responsibility as a leader of a church. So, then we come to this verse, Jesus says, my yoke is easy. What the heck is He talking about, huh? My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, one of the things I really, I really don't like, the more I go on in life, I hate it when, when preachers stand up and they convey this sense that, as leaders, if you are not living this stress-free, peaceful life, you're in sin and there's something seriously wrong. And then you're so stressed because you're stressed. And that's just added to your stress that you're already stressed about already. Who knows what I'm talking about here? You think, no, I've got to be at peace. I've got to be at peace. Be still. Be still. No, God damn it. Who knows what I'm talking about here? Don't you hate it when, when members of the congregation come up and, they, and then they remind you, it's not your church, it's God's. <laughs> And then I say, yeah, but I'm a shepherd of this thing, and i got to w- watch out for the, the, the wolves who normally dress like sheep. Yes. So this is the guy, I remember when we first launched the Junction Church, we put up this big sign, we, we met in a cinema, I love my church. And this guy came in, clearly a church hopper, he wore a tweed suit, you could tell from that right away. And... Uh, he came in and he said, uh, didn't like, "I don't like this church." He was very forward, straight talking. You know, I don't like this church. Uh, I don't like uh, the worship. Don't like the music's too loud. Don't like the style. Don't like your preaching. Don't like your accent. Um, and then he said, "And then he said, but the worst, ZA. He said, it's not your church; it's God's." So of course you try to be gracious. How many pastors know that? You need a very special grace in instances like that. So I just, I said, so, you know. And I noticed that this man's wife was in the foyer. I noticed his wife. And so I, I kind of thought I'll play along with this. And I said to the man, I said, excuse me, sir. That's, I, I listened to all that. I said, is that your wife over there? And he looked over he said, it is. I said, no, she's not. She's God's. <laughs> you want to play cheeky games? I'll play with you. And you got a wallet on you? Is that yours? <laughs> think about that during the offering, mister. <laughs> you get the, the, the super spiritual types who want to tell you how to do what God's called you to do. But he says, my, my yoke is easy. Oh, how, how, how does this work? You get this. How does this work when you're carrying a weight of responsibility that you don't even get yourself? And Jesus says, "My yoke is easy and my burden is light." And I, I looked at this verse, and I was thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, and suddenly it struck me. When Jesus said, "My yoke is easy and my burden is light," he was not suggesting for one moment that there is no yoke. You with me? And when he said, "My burden is light," he's not telling us that there's no burden. So by this verse, we can learn there is a yoke. This is particularly relevant for leaders. And there is a burden. He says, but my yoke is easy. You've all preached on this before. You know the idea of the yoke was that it was the means by which the animal was steered. It was tugged here and there. And if the animal was out of control or was veering off or doing its own thing, then the farmer would have to tug it hard. That's a hard yoke. So the context, come to me. Stay close. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. In other words, you stay close to me, then the tugs are going to be easy. You go off and do your own thing. You try to drift. You try to run ahead of me. Then I'm going to have to tug hard. Are you with me? So sometimes the reason why we find that that yoke is hard is because we're, we're off doing our own thing. We're not quite where we should be. My yoke is easy. And then he says, my burden is light. In other words, there's a burden that we have to carry. There's a responsibility that we have to carry. But here's the encouraging thing, and I want to say this to every leader today, that God will never give you more than what you're able to carry. You really ought to cheer up. Yeah. And when you're going through that crisis, you're going through that storm, change your attitude. Say, Lord, thank you for the honor of being able to carry your church through this. Thank you for the honor of being able to carry your people through this crisis. Thank you for the honor of being able to carry your glory in the midst of this situation. When you show up, and how many of you have ever been in situations where where church has been through a challenging season, and you wake up on Sunday morning and you think, really, do I have to do this? That's the thing as a leader. Whose head's above the parapet? It's not Mr. Complainer back there. They're gone. It's you. You've got to stand up. And then you've got to have the audacity to speak the language of faith when everybody's demoralized. But keep speaking it. Yeah, yeah. The message will get through eventually. Just keep speaking faith. Keep, keep declaring God's purpose. Hey, it's going to be a great year. Hang a what? There's like three people left in the church. It's going to be a great year. My old friend Teo Amy said to me, Many years ago, he said, when I launched the church, he said, I preached to all the empty seats more than I preached to the people. I would prophesy to them, like the the valley of dry bones. These seats shall be filled. Sometimes, he said, he got more response from the empty seats than the people in the church as well. (laughs) These seats shall be filled. God's purpose shall be done. We're going to keep going for it. Never, never, never stop believing God and the burden that God gives you will never be too much for you to carry. Here's a few things, and my time is going very fast. Oh, my word, 15 minutes gone already, just like that. You still with me? Yes. How many minutes do I have? 25. 25. I've got 30. You're very generous, Peter. <laughs> I tell you from New Mills, Derbyshire. He just gave me an extra five minutes, and he thinks that's generous. eh? <laughs> Unbelievable. He's an, impo- he's an imposter as well, by the way. He's Derbyshire. He, he, he's, where is this? Is this Lancashire? Manchester. Greater Manchester. Uh, I don't even know where I am, to be honest with you. <laughs> hey, here's, a, here's a few things to think about today. I, I'm, ho- I'm really hoping this is encouraging your heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Just stay close. Just don't drift. Just stay close. You want to know the secret of great leadership? It's not... In a, Leadership book, not wrong to read leadership books, but you kind of just stay close. Stay close. Stay close. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing how? By the Word of God. Faith doesn't come by hyping it up like a choo choo train. <laughs> we Pentecostals are so good at that, aren't we? But faith doesn't come by that. Faith comes by listening. Listening comes by staying close. So here's a few things to think about today just before we uh, proceed with this day. Number one, I want to encourage you, uh, know who you are and stop trying to be what you're not. I feel this is what God is saying to somebody today. Just walk into your grace zone. You're you're doing all right. Just keep being who God has called you to be. Develop a real profound security in who God has called you to be. When Lydia and I launched the Junction Church, uh, having been traveling, and we were going to move out to America, base ourselves out there, and then... I made the mistake of praying about it, (laughs) Florida, Loughborough, kind of signs, well, it doesn't even sound similar, does it, but we just came back and the Lord challenged us to plant the church, and so we did, and those first few years, it was just so tough, we got the proverbial stuffing knocked out of us. But we kept going and we made a decision. I had to come to a decision in my mind after year one when we went from 12 and then halfway through the year we had like 40 and then at the end of the year we had 10. And at the end of the year, I remember sitting in a coffee shop one day and just demoralized and just people watching and, you know, consoling myself that maybe there are other people who have worse problems than me. How many of you ever do that? Secretly, you don't publicly say it, but like I'm doing now, you know. And I sat there and I made a commitment to God. I said, "Lord, if it is my destiny to pastor a small church of 20 people, if that is to be my destiny, then I, I commit to now that I'm, I will commit the rest of my life to this, and I will serve those 20 people, and we will build up 20 giants of the faith, and we will release, and, it, and they'll go on to do greater things than us, and we will just serve these people." And that was the commitment we made. No matter who turned up, we were never flattered by numbers. And that's a big secret right there. Sure, measure them, but don't be flattered by them. People are fickle. Sometimes they're with you. Sometimes they're not. But you're going to be there. That's the most important thing. Know who you are. Know who you're called to be. Don't deviate from it. Stop trying to be some, you know, be inspired by some preacher, but stop trying to be like them. They say that when Wigglesworth preached, he had this thing of stroking his mustache like this. And then it said that all the young guys who wanted to be like Wigglesworth, they were all up like this as well, stroking. And they didn't didn't even have mustaches. That was the problem as well, doing all this and then, you know, trying to be like him. Well, he was unique, and then we try to replicate others. But what about the uniqueness of God's grace in your life? You really ought to have confidence in that. Just... Just know who God has called you to be and stop trying to be who you're not. Number two, here's the second thing I feel the Lord would say today. Face your worst fear. This is a long point, by the way. This is not a politically or religiously correct point, but this is is too long to put on the screen. Face your worst fear. Look at it straight in the eye and then remind yourself that God's grace is your total sufficiency. Don't hide from your fear. Face it. Who's ever been in a situation in your church? I'm trying to do real talk today because I'm in Manchester or Withenshaw, whatever it is. Um, um, who's ever been in a situation in church where Mr. Awkward, you know, Brother Awkward or Sister Rigor Mortis, whatever her name is, come in? Um, they come into the church and then and then here's what you do psychologically: you try to avoid them. You try to avoid them. You're trying to avoid them. you you, you clock the awkward squad and you just... And the Lord would say to somebody today, stop it. Because you carry the anointing in that place and that is a spirit of fear. Right there. That's the spirit of timidity. You're timid. You, the, the Lord is, is calling us to be leaders. That means a leader's got to face up to some stuff. Not in a harsh, ungracious way, but in a loving, caring way to face it. Not not to be afraid, when we first launched our church, we had a multi-millionaire join it, and I was very happy, Peter. Now, I didn't express, I wasn't dancing, you know, too much, you know, before the people, but privately I was. How many pastors get excited when millionaires join the church? Come on now, stop it. Oh, it's not about the money, brother. Oh, maybe not for you, but, you know. So this guy joined the church, and I thought, this is the answer to all our needs. This guy could just, he could just cover everything he would get as a building. He could, but how many you know that millionaire Christians are the biggest tight-fisted skin flints on planet Earth? <laughs> <laughs> so this guy came into the church, and, you know, you try to be nice and all that, you know, and try to keep your heart right, but, you know, offer him, I per- you personally offer him a cup of tea, you know, great to see, you know. And then I noticed something was happening over time, and I had to check my heart. I noticed that he did start to give, but his giving was with strings attached. If I give, I'm expecting a little something in return. I'm expecting a little bit of a voice. I'm expecting you to give me what I request. And I noticed this was happening more and more and more, and I I just couldn't get a piece about that in my heart, so I prayed about it, prayed about it, prayed about it. And as I pray, how many know the prayer, when you do it right, is very dangerous? Lord, what do you think I should do? And it was like the Holy Spirit said, What do you think? Um, And I said, Well, maybe I should just write to him and tell him to stop giving. What a stupid thing to say. And the Lord said, That's exactly what I want you to do. So I informed my wife. How do you inform your wife about these decisions? And I said, listen, um, I am going to write to this guy. I'm going to invite him to stop giving into the life of the church. This is a statement. We are not afraid. Nobody's money will ever buy me. I'm a man of God. I'm not here, you know, to be at the mercy of anybody's money. I'm here. Whether there's two P in the offering or two million pound in the offering, I'm here. Bottom line. Are you with me? So I wrote to the guy and said, look, uh, you know, I love you, but I, I want you to just stop giving because you need to know we love you. You're trying to do it graciously. We love you. Your money will not buy you influence in this church. And so he left. I was hoping that wasn't going to happen, actually. I was hoping he was going to repent and say, no, I'll give even more. But no, that didn't happen. But you know, something really weird happened. It was from that moment that our church began to grow. It was almost like God said, oh, okay, I can trust you. I can trust you because you don't have any fear. If I ask you to do something, you'll do it. And you'll have the audacity to do it as well. So I can trust you. I wonder what God is asking you to do as a leader. And I wonder, are you doing it? I wonder, are you reluctant? I wonder, are you holding back? I would encourage you today just to keep trusting. Face your fear. Face it. What's the worst thing that can happen anyway? Hey, listen, no matter what, you're there. Even if it's you and your wife having a lovely service this morning, there's a congregation. Are you with me? The singing might be awful, but there's a congregation. But you've got to keep showing up. And you've got to face your worst fear. And suddenly you'll realize as you begin to make decisions like that, God will entrust you with fantastic people who are just looking for a church where there's a leader, where there's a man of God, a woman of God who's prepared to stand up and do things right. Can anybody say amen here today? Here's number three. And then I'm done. I feel that the Lord would say to some of us today, it's time to grow your capacity, your personal capacity. That's the thing. We pray for revival. It always makes me laugh. I don't, Christians, especially Pentecostal Christians, we pray prayers, and it makes me laugh so much. Like, when I, when I hear a Christian pray for the fire, I get out of the way now. Lord, send the fire! And I always, say, I always try to tamper. I say, Lord, send the rain. <laughs> we don't really know what we're praying about half the time. That's the truth. Because if God were to really answer that prayer, uh, we'd be in, how many of you know we'd be in big trouble, right? Are you with me? Send the fire. And then we say, Lord, send revival, as if that's the answer to all our problems. Well, hang on. Uh, if, you're, if you feel pressure now, could you imagine what would happen if revival came? If you're struggling with that, 50 people in your church, imagine 150 of them. That's what happens when revival happens, right? So the answer is not to just pray for easy solutions. The answer is to grow our personal capacity. My burden is light. In other words, you've got the capacity for this. You've just got to make some space. There are some things got to be shifted out of the way so that you can carry what I have called you to carry. Amen. As the church grows, so does the pressure, and as leaders rise, so do the, does pressure. Don't avoid pressure. Grow your capacity to handle it. Embrace the challenges. Get around people who are doing more than you. Embrace the intimidation. When we first launched our church, I sat with a bunch of Hillsong pastors, and there I am giving it a go, and it's a roundtable thing in London, and they're all, you know, talking in this roundtable, and one says, oh, we had a bad week. We only saw 1,000 people saved this week. And then another says, oh, yeah, we had a really bad week. There's really like 5,000 people in our service. Normally, there's 5,500. And then another guy is like talking about his... And, then, and I was thinking, I hope they don't ask me. <laughs> Uh, how, many, how many are in your church? Uh, well, me and my wife, and about eight dysfunctional people. Uh, so, I mean, and I'm talking like really dysfunctional. Why is it when you ask God to send you people, they never seem normal? They're like, they put the fun into dysfunctional. Let's put it like that, all right? But then that's how God's always worked. That's the way the disciples were. They weren't exactly functional. They were pretty dysfunctional. Sons of Thunder, that ought to be a giveaway, right? They were the Manchester boys. So you just use what you've got and you grow your capacity. I'm coming to an end. The the big fellow who's my right-hand man in my church, he was a wild boy. Student, party animal, just living a crazy life. But I liked him. So we went and had a breakfast one day and I said to him, listen, I'm going I'm to give you a word from God. It's make or break time. You'll either make your decision to follow God now or you'll go and do your own thing and mess your life up. What you want. Sometimes you just got to talk like that. He said, oh, I want to be a man of God. I said, well, come and meet with me once a week and then we'll do life together and I'll make you the man of God. And over the next year, two years, three years, four years, five years, I tried to mentor him, whatever that is. He mentors a bore. He's such a boring word. Have you got a mentor? Don't bore me. Don't bore me. Just do life with people. Just go and hang out. Go and watch Netflix and have a chat during the adverts. Don't have adverts during Netflix. When you're watching Coronation Street, that's Manchester. Just go and just hang out and do life. And then this guy would stand up and he would preach and he would preach the worst messages ever. Heresy. I would sit there and cringe, inappropriate jokes and everything, and then, and then I would say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to really go at him. And I felt the Lord just say, just, just love on him afterwards, and then slap him on Tuesday. <laughs> you never slap them on Sunday. It's a worst, the worst mistake you can make. You do that on and you, and you, you, you make the slap as gracious as you possibly can as well. A cup of coffee normally helps. Anyway, that guy today, strong. We had nine marriages in our church last year. Him and his wife, one of the couples got married. Call of God in his life. Sees salvations every time he preaches. Carries the anointing. Got great gravitas in the church. But if you'd seen him seven or eight years ago, you would have not had him on your team in church. Sometimes you've got to just take risks on people. And you've got to grow your capacity to handle that. Grow your own maturity to handle that. Some people are going to do things. Wearing ripped jeans. On stage from his thigh down to his knee. I mean, I, mean, I don't mind a little bit, right? But like, massive. He might as well not have even been wearing any jeans. Um, and, and, and everything, the legalistic part of me wanted to say, come on, tell him off. But the Holy Spirit part of me said, just cheer him on. You'll learn. Stop trying to do God's job for him, And you grow your personal capacity to handle the challenges of that and watch what God will do in the life of your church. So anyway, I hope this has helped somebody today. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, so cheer up. It's even worse than what you think. <laughs> I think that's my conclusion. <laughs> nice to see Barry Woodward there today. Ah. Oh. Barry is an amazing evangelist, just traveled. lovely to see Barry today, just this guy is doing utterly incredible things around the nation, going into prisons and reaching literally thousands and thousands of people, it's wonderful to have him here today. I want to, shall so we all stand to our I know, I know I meant to be done, but we, we should pray, shouldn't we? Listen, let's make a deal, if the Holy Spirit breaks in today, right, and the program gets messed up, we'll just tell the NLT we did it, right? and we'll repent for that afterwards as well. Okay. Is that all right? Would you raise your ha- If anybody, come on, raise your hands high in the air, and, and um, especially anybody who's just feeling a little bit um, uh, discouraged, a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, I feel that if you get nothing else from today, there's a word from heaven here that God has given you everything that you need uh, to lead that church, to lead those people, and just let every step be just guided by the grace of God. Amen. And that grace is your, self, that is your all-sufficiency. It's everything that you need. That's what Paul had to come to the conclusion of. The greatest revelation he got when he was praying for the removal of the thorn in the flesh, which was clearly a, a, some kind of persecution. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Amen. Had to say it three times, but the third time Paul got it. I think God has to do a lot of repetitions. He's so patient with us, but the Lord would say to somebody today, my grace is enough for you. My anointing is on you. You just keep loving those people, and even if they let you down, you just keep loving those people anyway, and you keep taking risks. Even if you get let down nine times, there's always one who's going to make it. God will cause that church to grow as you get that culture right, God will cause that church to grow. Can you say amen today? Now come on, for the next two minutes, let's give God some praise. Come on, give Him some praise. Come on. Praise Him in advance for the growth that you're believing for, my friend. Did you hear that? Praise Him in advance for the kind of growth that you're believing for. The personal growth, the growth of the church. Your personal growth, your personal capacity, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, Father we thank you that you're going to do incredible things, pour out your Holy Spirit and do phenomenal signs and wonders, do amazing things that only you can get the glory for, we give you praise, we give you thanks, we give you honor, we give you worship, we only like you Jesus, There's nobody like you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you've been inspired and challenged by this message. For more information about Withenshaw Community Church Manchester, please visit withenshawcommunitychurch.org.